A word of caution. This episode features descriptions of people who may have been victims of homicide and or sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 13. Three women were murdered or went missing under suspicious circumstances in Robeson County, North Carolina, and many think the crimes are connected. An 18-year-old young woman leaves for her retail job early one Wednesday morning. Within a half an hour, her van is found abandoned in a nearby field not far from her house. The door was locked, and she has not been seen since. A five-year-old little girl waits for her bus early one morning before school, but when her mom makes a quick trip inside the house, a man in a pickup truck snatches the girl in plain view of the neighbors before driving off. She is later found murdered not far from her home, and so far, no one has been arrested for the crime. What do all these cases and more have in common? They involve crimes against indigenous women and girls in North Carolina, and this is an issue prevalent across the country. This episode will highlight the recent arrest in the murder of a young UNC Chapel Hill student named Faith Hedgepeth as well. There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 29, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in North Carolina, Part 1. Dateline NBC recently aired an episode called The Secrets of Spirit Lake, which discussed the murder of a young woman named Carla Yellowbird from North Dakota and her family's quest to bring her killers to justice. Season 3 of Payne Lindsay's podcast, Up and Vanished, explores the disappearance of a young indigenous woman named Ashley Loring Heavy Runner, who went missing from the Blackfeet Nation Indian Reservation in Montana. I'm guessing a lot of listeners are unaware of the amount of indigenous women who have been victims of sexual assault and murder here in North Carolina. To be honest, I wasn't aware of this history and how hard members of the communities have worked to have their voices heard and their loved ones not forgotten until just a few years ago. A journalist named Antoinette Kerr wrote an in-depth article on this issue in Scalawag magazine that ran in May 5, 2020. I'll link it in the show notes because it really is a fascinating read. According to the article, more than 90 Native women have been killed or reported missing since 1994, with more than 30 of those being from eastern North Carolina. This is where I first learned about the mysterious cases of three Lumberton women, Christina Bennett, Rhonda Jones, and Megzen Oxendine. According to a recent article that ran in the News and Observer, about 43% of the population in Robeson County is American Indian and part of the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina. This is the largest tribe east of the Mississippi River, although they have been fighting for federal recognition for the past 100 years. This recognition would bring more resources and authority to the tribal members and surrounding community. 
On April 18, 2017, the Lumberton Police Department received a call directing them to a disturbing odor at an abandoned house. When they began to search it, they discovered the nude body of 32-year-old Christina Bennett inside a television cabinet. As neighbors gathered outside the home to investigate what the police were doing, they noticed another foul odor coming from a trash receptacle. They opened it and were shocked to discover human remains inside. The woman in the trash can was 36-year-old Lumby Rhonda Jones. She was also nude. Because both bodies were already undergoing decomposition, the autopsy findings left investigators with more questions. The body of Christina, who was not a member of the Lumby tribe, showed no other signs of trauma. Rhonda, on the other hand, had cuts on her face along with a broken nose. Both deaths were ruled as undetermined at the time, which understandably upset the families. The fact that both women were concealed in the cabinet of an abandoned house and inside a trash can showed that someone wanted to cover up the deaths for as long as possible. After the deaths, 28-year-old Megan Oxendine, who was friends with Rhonda Jones, spoke out against the murders on a local news station. You can hear her being interviewed in this local news segment. And police say they are only beginning their investigation into the two decomposing bodies discovered across the street from each other this week. Our Nate Rogers headed down to Robson County today to get some perspective on the neighborhood where the women were found. Police have not yet released the victims' names, but we've learned through multiple sources that Rhonda Jones is one of the ladies that was found dead yesterday. And many that knew Rhonda well say she was working to get her life back on track. Lumberton detectives were back out today looking for clues in what they call a suspicious death investigation. Police first responded to this home along Peachtree Tuesday morning after a report of a suspicious odor. Well, last week I said it was Thursday when we started smelling it. Everybody was coming through the path and they were smelling it also. Police say a woman's body was found inside the abandoned home and a second woman's body was found right across the street. Neighbors say detectives pulled the second body from a trash bin. I mean, I don't comprehend stuff like this too good. I don't understand how somebody could do somebody's child, mother, niece, like that. Police say both bodies were decomposed and the cause of death is unknown. Friends and various posts from relatives on social media identify one of the victims as Rhonda Jones, a mother with five children. Megan Oxendine lives in the area and says Jones was a sweet and good person. I ain't never seen her act out or nothing. She's just quiet. She didn't really mess with too many people. Right now, police, the SBI, and Robinson County District Attorneys are continuing to investigate this case. Now, coming up tonight at 6, residents tell us the house where one of the bodies was found has been a haven for crime for years. We'll tell you more tonight at 6. In Lumberton, I'm Nate Rogers, CBS North Carolina. A few weeks later, Megan's mother reported she was attacked by five different people who cut out part of her hair and physically assaulted her. She didn't want to report the incident to the police. But on June 3rd, Megan's naked body was discovered partially concealed by tree branches and discarded roof shingles. Her cause of death was ruled undetermined. All three murders remain unsolved. The FBI is currently offering a $40,000 reward for information that leads investigators to determine the circumstances that led to the deaths of Christina Bennett, Rhonda Jones, and Megan Oxendine. 
Anyone with information is asked to call FBI Charlotte at 704-672-6100. Next, I'd like to talk about the disappearance of a young Lumbee woman named Sarah Nicole Graham, who went missing on February 4, 2015. Sarah had been raised by her mother in Texas, but had moved back to North Carolina to live with her father and stepmother after high school. On the day she went missing, 18-year-old Sarah got up early to get ready to head to her job at a nearby Walmart in Pembroke. She left her home in her blue work vest around 7 a.m. for the 20-minute drive. But only a few hours after she left, the white Chevy Astro van she drove was found parked in an abandoned field not far from her house. The van appeared to be in good condition, but was locked, meaning someone had to have locked it manually using the car key, since it was an older model of the van. Sarah never made it to work that day, and has not been seen since. The local police department initiated a search for Sarah that included 150 volunteers and a canine unit, but no evidence turned up. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $5,000 for information leading to the whereabouts of Sarah Nicole Graham. At the time of her disappearance, Sarah stood 5 feet 4 and weighed 160 pounds. She has dark, curly brown hair and brown eyes, wears glasses, and had braces at the time she went missing. You can submit tips at 704-672-6100. I'd like to take a quick break to read a few recent reviews I've received for this podcast. A user named Dirt Magnet wrote, I'm not from the Carolinas, but I stumbled across the podcast while looking for new things to listen to. The narrator's voice is wonderful. Her detail and compassion really rounds it out. Highly recommend this to anyone who enjoys learning about true crime. And here's another review from someone with the username abrook 10 As someone from North Carolina, I love hearing cases that are specific to North Carolina and South Carolina. The narrator has a very soothing voice, so the podcast is easy to listen to. Also, the episodes are short enough to hold my interest without having to listen to an episode in multiple parts. The podcast is very well done. I'm glad I came across this podcast. Thank you so much for those very kind reviews. When I first decided to create this podcast, I wanted to narrow the focus and highlight cases specific to my region of the country, since I've worked as a journalist here for many years. I never dreamed it would reach so many people so quickly. We have listeners all the way in Australia, the UK, Canada, and various states across the country. I think the common thread is that we all have a curiosity and desire to help figure out what happened to these missing people and maybe learn more about ourselves and others in the process. Regardless of where you're listening from, I thank you, and would love it if you would leave your own review for me to read in a future episode wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's get back to the episode. Brittany Locklear was five years old on January 7, 1998, when she walked out to the front of her house to wait for the school bus with her mother, Connie Locklear Chavez, in Hope County. It was still dark out, and at one point, Connie had to go back into the house briefly to use the restroom. When she came back out, Brittany was gone. 
Connie went to West Hook Elementary to see if Brittany had made it to school on the bus, but she hadn't. When police began investigating, neighbors told them they had seen a pickup truck pull erratically into the driveway of the home, where a white male got out of the driver's side and quickly picked up Brittany and put her in the truck. Brittany, who was so tiny many thought she was closer to three years old rather than five, didn't appear to resist the man, so the neighbors didn't think there was anything wrong at the time. Just one day later, Brittany's body was found in a drainage ditch about three miles away from her home. Her clothes had been removed, and she had been sexually assaulted and drowned. Her backpack, clothing, and shoes were found about two miles away later that day. Community members have never forgotten the precocious Lumbee child or the cruel way she was murdered. In 2003, authorities announced they had identified a suspect who had been a member of the Fort Bragg Fire Department, but the DNA evidence collected from him turned out not to be a match to crime scene evidence. The Hope County Sheriff's Office says the investigation into Brittany's abduction and murder is still ongoing, and they are determined to solve it. There is a reward being offered in this case. Anyone with information regarding this murder are asked to call the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-334-3000. Now, let's talk about the recent developments in the murder of Faith Hedgepeth. Faith was a member of the Haliwasaponi tribal community and grew up in Hollister, North Carolina. She received a scholarship to UNC Chapel Hill and hoped to one day become a pediatrician and return to her community to help others. In February 2012, Faith was 19 years old in her sophomore year and staying with her friend Karina Rosario temporarily while she waited to move into a new apartment. The evening started out normally. Faith attended a recruiting event for Alpha Pi Omega and then stopped by the campus library with Karina. At around 7.30 p.m., they headed back to Karina's home at their apartment complex on Old Chapel Hill Road. The two women went out later after midnight to a nightclub in Chapel Hill, returning around 2.30 a.m. Faith headed off to bed, but Karina later went back out with a male friend who picked her up from the apartment around 4.25 a.m. Faith was alone and asleep in her bedroom at that time. Karina later told police she left the door unlocked when she left. When she came home around 11 a.m. the next morning, she and a female friend discovered Faith's lifeless body, with only a black t-shirt pulled up over her head. An autopsy later determined Faith died from blunt force trauma, and it appeared she had been sexually assaulted. The murder weapon seemed to have been a bottle of Bacardi rum that was normally kept in the kitchen. Another unusual piece of evidence investigators found at the scene was a white, time-out fast food bag with the handwritten words, I'm not stupid, bitch, and jealous. The bag did not have any blood on it and was believed to have been left at the scene by the killer. In September of 2016, Chapel Hill Police released a composite sketch of what they believed Faith's killer looked like. Parabon Nano Labs used a forensic DNA analysis service that can accurately predict the physical appearance and ancestry of an unknown person from their DNA. 
A breakdown of the perpetrator's ancestry said that the killer was likely Latino with a mixed ancestry, primarily of Central American and Southwest European origin. His DNA also showed smaller connections with Southern Africa, South America, and Northeast Africa, according to the tip sheet distributed by police. For nine long years, Faith's friends and family advocated for their daughter and made sure her case stayed in the news. Her story appeared on the Investigation Discovery Channel in a program called Who Killed the Coed? An ID Murder Mystery, as well as a special episode of 2020 called Love, Hope, and Faith. Local and state law enforcement officials said their search for a suspect involved hundreds of interviews and testing DNA samples, and the investigation remains ongoing. On September 16th of this year, Chapel Hill announced they had made an arrest in Faith's murder. 28-year-old Miguel Enrique Salguero Oliveras, who was living in Durham at the time. Police did not provide any other details about the suspect or his connection to the case, or whether or not he knew Faith. An article that ran on ABC's Channel 11 in Durham reported that a man named Hunter Glass, who had once worked as a private investigator in Faith's case, recognized Salguero Oliveras's name because he had been named as a person who had once attended a party at Faith and Karina's apartment complex. Glass also told the news station that he doesn't think the suspect was the only person present at the murder. Investigators have announced that resolution in the case is far from over, and they intend to apprehend any and all parties who may have known about the murder or participated in it alongside Salguero Oliveras. After the arrest announcement, Crystal Cavalier Keck, founder of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in North Carolina, released the following statement. After an exhaustive investigation, we now know who took this innocent and beautiful soul. However, the journey is not over. Though we are grateful for the arrest, this will be a long and painful road ahead for Faith's family and friends. Nevertheless, like our ancestors for, have for centuries, we will unite as one and stand together with our indigenous women, two spirits, men, and children. Here are a few other missing person cases that don't have a lot of information available, but are still important to mention. Jessica Lowry went missing from Lumberton on December 20, 2005. She left her residence in the vicinity of the 700 block of Bollinger Avenue around 3 a.m. and was last seen walking along Beam Road in Lumberton. She was 25 years old at the time of her disappearance and has brown hair and brown eyes. She stands five feet tall and weighs approximately 135 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black and white Harley Davidson jacket, a black shirt, blue jeans, and black Reebok sneakers. Her ears are pierced and she has a tattoo of a long-stemmed rose with two leaves on her outer left ankle. Anyone with information on Jessica Lowry's whereabouts should contact the Robeson County Sheriff's Office at 910-671-3177. Charlitha Maynard was 36 years old and two weeks away from getting married when she disappeared in Red Springs, North Carolina. There are two conflicting reports of the circumstances of her disappearance that I was able to find. 
Her fiancé, a man named Tony McEachern, said Charlitha had walked away from their home around 8.30 p.m. on March 6, 2007. Information provided on the Charlie Project website also said that Charlitha and Tony had been arguing and he let her out of his car on Highway 71 near Lombardi Village Road, where she got into a green truck with another male. Charlitha and Tony had been dating for a year when she went missing. An article I found that ran in the Robesonian quoted Tony as saying he didn't understand why Charlitha would have left because the two were very close and had made plans to attend Disney World that summer after their wedding. An interesting footnote to this case that I found is an obituary for Tony McEachern of Red Springs from April 22, 2011. So Charlitha's fiancé has since passed away. At the time she went missing, Charlitha stood 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed 120 pounds. She has hazel eyes and brown hair and was wearing a white shirt, blue jeans, and a blue windbreaker with white stripes on the sleeves or a Harley Davidson jacket. Anyone with information about Charlitha's whereabouts is asked to contact the Robeson County Sheriff's Office at 910-671-3177. This brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Missing in the Carolinas. Please join me next week for an interview with Crystal Cavalier Keck as she shares more about the mission behind the nonprofit Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in North Carolina. To learn more about cases that are seeking answers and resolution, visit the Facebook page, Missing Murdered Indigenous Women of North Carolina Coalition. Be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen to your podcasts, so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are available. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.